Hello and welcome back to AFL by Dummies, and let's discuss the weekend that was. Melbourne conquered there in the Demons and now look invincible, whilst the Hawks will have to look in the mirror and reflect on going out in straight sets. Collingwood was more wasteful than a rich white person's perspective on what constitutes high-quality wine, but still managed to cling on against a GWS side that has more questions to answer than a parent who's just had their child walk in and them doing dirty deeds, and that is the weekend that was. Lachlan Ross, how are you doing? That was very short. Uh guess we're not used to it being only two games. Um, they were two great games, though. What was your highlight from the weekend, Lachlan Ross? My highlight from the weekend has to be that goal that Jake Melsham kicked. Uh, Hawthorne were coming as a non-Melbourne believer, unlike yourself. I was just hoping that Hawthorne would steal this game out of nowhere. And uh, they just about got within range. And then Jake Melsham, wrong foot from 50 metres, just sends it through. Like, my left foot can kick it maybe 12 metres. Um, and he sent it 50 that was a fantastic goal. It has actually reminded me of something that um, I'd forgotten about and wasn't going to bring up on the show until I just remembered. Um, you haven't heard this story yet, so you're going to enjoy this. So, Rich and I went to the game on Friday night, um, and we, at three-quarter time, made a suicide pact that if Melbourne lost, we would fail together. And so, the, the stakes of this suicide pact was that Bridge would shave his head if Melbourne lost, and that I would get a tattoo of a hawk. Now, they're five goals up. They're not like... <laughs> it's, it's not unbeatable. Um, and as you can remember, Mel- uh, Hawthorne got within 18 points <laughs> towards the end of the... It got within 13. Oh, sorry, 13 points towards the end of the third uh, last quarter. And Bridget and I were really worried. <laughs> we were absolutely terrified. I really don't want to get a tattoo of a hawk. One of my tattoos in general, just not hawks. And um, luckily, that Melksham goal was the steadier that made Bridget and I think we should be safe here. Lucky. Left foot <laughs> Very lucky. from 50 saved you from potentially getting a tattoo of a hawk. How big would it have to be? Uh, there were there were no uh, restrictions on how big the hawk and had to be. And how visible? Is it a face tattoo? or? Nah, I could get away with like an ankle tattoo or something. But it had to be a hawk. And my mum, who is a Hawthorne fan, would have loved that. I would have <laughs> never let you forget. I know. <laughs> that would be the greatest thing that's ever happened, potentially. Yeah. Maybe something to do with eggs, though. We'll find out about that over the next few weeks, shall we? Um, it's now time for my joke, though. Um, I'm very excited about this one. So, I don't know if you heard, but there were two separate incidents involving teams having 19 players on the field across the AFL world this week. Did you hear about either of them? No, I didn't. So, the first one was in the NEFL Grand Final. So, Sydney, Gold Coast, their reserve side um, Grand Final. um, Where Grand Final, Gold Coast is going to (laughs) play. Yeah, Gold Coast wasn't playing there. Um, it was Sydney versus some random team. Um, and the Sydney side was down by 100 points, pretty much. It was a belting. And one of the teams was caught having 19 players on the side for like two minutes. So it didn't make a difference. They were fined. And I mean, nobody really was that up in arms about it. However, the other one was in the Sandfall, the um, South Australian Reserves League uh, preliminary final. Now, the final margin in this game was five points. One team had... 19 players on the field for the first five minutes of the last quarter in which they kicked one goal too. Now, there was a tribunal last night to decide whether or not they would revoke that win from them and give it to the other side. They had three options, wipe the scoreboard clean, wipe the score from that section, which would have handed the win to the other side, or find them. They chose to find them, which meant that the side that cheated are playing in a grand final this weekend... No way. Legitimately true. They cheated. I'm, the argument is that they do it. They did it accidentally. But even then, 
They still accidentally cheated for five minutes in the game, played with an extra person. Got seven extra points. Eight extra points, which made the oh, difference sorry. in the game. That yep. was the difference in the game. I-, I could not believe that this was revoked. So this week I decided to provide a step-by-step guide of how to cheat in the AFL. Because clearly cheating works. This has been demonstrated that it doesn't matter what level you play it. If you cheat, you can get away with it. So I'm going to teach you how to cheat. This is going to be a very effective method. Let's start with number one. This seems like an obvious one, but let's get it out of the way. You need a high Stephen Dank. I mean, preferably as the head of your supplements program. Yeah. That's that's just like the first part of it. If he's not available, look into the availability of Lance Armstrong. I'm, I've heard he's good at this kind of stuff as well. Um, he's got a lot of experience with balls. So we'll see how he goes. <laughs> yeah, he'll do very well in the sport. We'll see how he goes. This time, maybe they, these two can start looking to prescribe your players medications for your heart problems. Because there have never been any instances in world sport where people with heart problems have had medications that have ended up seeing them banned for a year. No, never happened. <clears throat> Maria, also, you bring some sandpaper with you out onto the field. Um, you get the Sharon and you actually shine up one side of the Sharon so that when you're kicking it, the ball swings through the air. The opposition won't be able to read it. And therefore, you have an advantage in being able to pick the ball. Yeah, well, also when the other team kicks the ball like in field and it starts swinging, they're so confused. Exactly. They weren't ready for that, whereas you're ready for that and because no- you become prepared to cheat (laughs) and nobody else has ever done that before in world sport before so it's an entirely new tactic yep totally won't end with like your captain (laughs) and your vice captain out for a year Uh, you could convince your players to take cocaine on match day i've heard that's an effective method so i'm sure that'll work also most uh, things work in the nrl (laughs) breach the salary cap by paying your star players extra money these are like really easy ways to cheat that have never seen anybody get caught doing these. No, that's the most important part. No one has been caught in any of these steps so far. No, they're, they're, they are synonymous with secrecy. This is the perfect storm. <laughs> I like that one. And finally, if you are caught, there's a way out, right? So if by some circumstance you did happen to be caught despite this genius plan, what you can do is allow your team to compete um, by the under the banner of the AFL Athletes of Australia, in which case, if they win, you still get all the credit anyway. <laughs> um, exactly. So it's a win-win scenario. Either you win or you win and you get to do some drugs along the way. So, yeah, go cheating. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely why we do sport. It's to cheat. Yeah. But do you know what's the greatest thing about cheating? If you really get caught and your excuse doesn't work, all you have to do is pay is money. <laughs> it's just money. I know. So the the, the side that cheated in the Sandful on the weekend, the fine they got and the penalty for cheating on a prelim final game was $10,000 and they were deducted four points from next season, which is a win. One win and $10,000. Damn, you don't even need like a crazy rich like president. You can fund that most days. That's unbelievable. Uh, The result is outrageous. I cannot believe it. I'm genuinely stunned. Anyway, it's time for your stat now. What do you got us? On the weekend, uh, GWS lost another final. So they've lost two prelims and a semifinal in the last couple of years. And I think this has to show how hard it is to actually win finals. Like everyone goes into every year hoping that, you know, their team will win the grand final because, you know, you, you really want that grand final and you think it's within reach. But it's really hard. Like this team, so I went through it. Right? This team has never won consecutive finals, this GWS team. Wow. 
So they always win one, lose one, or lose, as they did on the weekend. And this is the side on the weekend in terms of draft picks. And Josh T- Kelly didn't play, and also um, Dylan Schill and Jeremy Cameron didn't come as a draft pick. They were some of the 17-year-old concessions. Tom Scully didn't play as well. He was no. the number one pick. So here's some of the picks that were just playing on the weekend, not including those four players. Yep. So they had a pick two, a pick one, 19, 2, 7, 1, 10, 19, 16, 3, 7, 11, 5, 9, then 29, 55, 56, 35, and 69. So that's a lot of pretty good picks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember we we talked about this after the or before the prelim final last year when we were comparing the number of first-round picks the Giants and Richmond had. And it was some crazy number, like 16 first-round picks playing that day to, like, five. Yeah. Um, and like we said, that's not including Shield, Cameron, Kelly, and Scully. Um, so the average pick out of that is 17.8. Wow. that That is crazy. So the GWS average player on the weekend without four of their best players is a late first-round pick. And you get one first-round pick a year. Yeah. That's... Yeah, that's pretty mental. So, I mean, I understand everyone wants their side to win and to do really well, but if a side with this much talent and a pretty good coach, um, I haven't got too much against Leon Cameron, um, can't even get to a grand final, like that says a lot about A, how good the league is, and B, how hard it is to be successful in this league, and it's more than just talent and a good coach. It's also a good culture and a good um, injury management crew. Yeah, which they've been... Absolutely hampered by the season with so many players missing vast amounts of time. Last two or three seasons, not even just this season. It's a recurrent problem for them. Good work from you there on the analysis train. Now hit us up with your joke. Okay, so for those who haven't heard, uh, Melbourne fans bought a whole bunch of tickets for the West Coast game on the weekend. Funny that. <laughs> I know. Who would who would actually go to their prelim? Totally not me last year. Anyways, um... But then the airplane price, uh, sorry, the airplane prices from Melbourne to Perth actually shot up really quickly. So a lot of Melbourne fans might actually not go to the game, um, which is unfortunate for them. So essentially what the Melbourne fans have done is just bought tickets to reduce the home crowd advantage that West Coast would have gotten. Now, it's lucky that the game's at Otter Stadium where the capacity is 60,000, because if you try to do this tactic at the MCG with a Richmond Collingwood game, that would get very expensive very fast. But do you know what I love about this tactic, Alex? What? It's literally hush money. <laughs> You are spending money to shut other people up. It is the literal form of hush money. You're absolutely right. I mean, what is it with Western Australia and hush money? It's just like those two just go together so well, don't they? Yeah, they go together like a Melbourne fan and a cheese platter. (laughs) Anyways, um, I don't really think this type of hush money is probably as effective as the original form of hush money. Probably doesn't save as much face as well. But um, I, so because it's not as effective, I was thinking, well, there's got to be some better ways that you could spend $50 that you would have had on the ticket. So <laughs> yeah. here is just a few. It's a short list. So a cheese platter. Yeah. It's a much more... What- it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great way to spend $50 and to get ridiculed at the footy. <laughs> Perfect snack. Yep. So a better way to spend $50 would be on Camoche's salary because <laughs> that's about what he's worth. <laughs> Ouch. That one really stings. Poor Camo Shane. A regular viewer of the show. Yeah, who wouldn't be? Yeah, he actually sponsors us. <laughs> and uh, the last one would be investing in strawberry shares. Yeah, um, That's are. a better way to spend $50 uh, at the moment. Sure. 
Yeah, strawberry shares are really spiking right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one and pretend you didn't say that. Anyways, very interesting tactic by the Melbourne fans. Um, not sure if I'm going to get behind it, but uh, just thought I'd uh, bring that news to you all. Uh, that, was, that was good. Good. I liked that one. Well done. Um, it's time for my stat now. I want to talk about uh, most improved players in the competition, right? Um, I'm going to put up a few candidates. You've got, I'm happy for you to put your own candidates up there if you think. One of the ones that gets talked about a lot is Tom Phillips, and excellently so. If you watch the first quarter on the weekend, Lockie Whitfield is one of the best halfback wingmen in the competition, um, and he tried to play his own game, Lockie Whitfield, and Tom Phillips taught him that he has to be defensively accountable. Um, I, I really think he taught him a lesson there, and not many people have the talent to do that. When we did our All-Australian side, I tried to um, argue that Lockie Whitfield, incredible offensive player from a backline perspective, but he isn't quite accountable enough. And I think this game showed that. Um, Tom Phillips, really good offensive and defensive player, really like what he's got going. However, the two that I want to talk about, the main two, I think one of them, they both get a lot of raps, but I don't think they get raps as genuinely being the most improved players in the competition. Number one is Steel side bottom. This season, he has gone from a B-plus, A-minus player. Uh, don't get me wrong, a very good player and one of the better players going around. He's now a certified A-grader. I, I think we, we, we need to start talking about him as up there with Kelly and that lot. I genuinely think that. Martin Dangerfield, he's going to pull massive votes come the Brownlow. Watch that game on Saturday in a game where both teams were crying out for somebody with a little bit of class to just slow down the game and hit some targets. He's the only player that does it regularly. He's got skill and situational awareness under pressure. Very, very underrated player. I genuinely think one of the best. And the other one is one of the best up-and-coming midfielders, and that's James Harms. One of the best two-way running midfielders. Just watch him play right now. I know he's in a good batch of form. But his ability to do the defensive job on one of the opponent's best midfielders. He's beaten Joel Selwood and Tom Mitchell in the last two weeks. Find me two bigger scalps than that. And he's also doing damage. He's getting plus 25 disposals, kicking a goal or two at the other end. I mean, really, I, I, would, I would argue, if I was constructing a side right now, based on the best players in the AFL, Caniglio would be my go-to number one defensive midfielder. James Harms would be number two. That's how highly I rate his form right now. I think he's absolutely up there with the best. I know you um, you probably pick somebody like Dion Prestia, who I think also does a very good job. But yeah, I want to give those two some credit because they've had fantastic seasons. Um, Harms has turned himself from a bit of a nobody to uh, one of the best in his position and still side bottom has turned himself from a good player to one of the best players. Full stop. End of that sentence. I see where you're coming with Steel Sidebottom. He has taken his game to the next level. But you clearly haven't watched enough of Collingwood in the past. I think he's always been nearly this damaging. In the what he's done over the last couple of seasons, he's moved to like the dusty role where he spends a lot of the time a kick ahead of the ball. And he's that kick inside 50. And you get to see a lot of him when he has it in the most dangerous positions for Collingwood. And he sets up a lot of their goals. Whereas last year, he spent a bit more time in the midfield. He was still an A grader. Um, I think. So, yes, he has improved this season, but I don't think he's one of the most improved. Harms would be up there, but one that I would pick is actually one of his midfield buddies at Melbourne would be Angus Brayshaw. 
he would be my most improved player of the year. He was basically a nobody last year. He had a bit of talent, um, but he just couldn't get on the field and couldn't get a string of games together. He's got a string of games in the last in the second half of this season, and he's playing really good. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I would say he's averaging high 20s in disposals. And he's accountable both ways, I think, and that's the most important thing. And his form's been long enough that it tells me it's not just good form, that he's actually a really good player, whereas Harms has been a bit more short form. So I, I couldn't really make a case for him being the most improved player. So the one I think would be Angus Brayshaw. You could, I think you could also make a case for Jack Redden from West Coast. I think he's stepped up huge this year. Um, Luke Shuey has spent time out, Andrew Gaff has spent time out, and he's been a rock for them. Um, and... Basically, no one inside Melbourne would have been able to name him last year because he was just a nobody. And he still doesn't get any credit, but I think he would be up there with one of the most improved players in the league. Um, um, just from the final four teams we've got left. On the Melbourne perspective, I'm really excited to talk about the midfield a little later on because when you look at the depth in it, it's crazy good right now. Um, from the Redden perspective, I actually really rated him when he was playing at Brisbane. I thought he was actually one of the best players up there, and that was the era That of, was a low bar, though. It was a low bar, but, I mean, they still had, you know, Rockcliffe, Zorko, Beams around then. Um, and when he when he left, I actually had high expectations. I thought it was a really good pickup from West Coast. Um, and I thought he's been quite disappointing over the last few years, and I thought this year he's finally lived up to the potential I thought he had. So I do agree the improvement there has been massive. Um, let's, we'll get back to Melbourne in a second. But first, it's time for your world-famous segment. This is... Punching down. This is kicking down. Toby Green, you had a fantastic elimination final, but last week you were lamentable. You had nine disposals on the weekend, which is less than the number of faces you kicked against Sydney. You let this little guy called Maynard seem like a superstar. Guess you needed a kick in the ass to bring you back to earth. <laughs> Luke Bruce, Alex and I have sung your praises this year. Don't get me wrong, you had a fantastic year and deserved to be in the All-Australian side, but you didn't step up when it counted. Across the two games, you kicked one goal one, and that one goal you kicked was in dead time against Richmond and the game was already over, and that one behind was when you missed it from 20 metres out straight in front against Richmond. You had more clangers in the final series than you did goals. That's very unhawk-like. So I looked up the definition of a hawk on Google. A diurnal bird of prey with broad rounded wings and a long tail, typically taking prey by surprise with a short chase. Well, I'll tell you what, you took me by surprise by being absolutely shit in final series. That was kicking down. And that was harsh on Luke Bruce. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like I said, he has had a good year, but if you're not going to step up when it counts... I mean, I'm coming after you. I'd, I'd also <laughs> like, like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> basically, I'd also like to say that I did get another definition for a hawk that I wanted to use, which is a person who advocates an aggressive or warlike policy, especially in foreign affairs, and make a case that Luke Bruce was like Donald Trump. But then I realised I was saying that Luke Bruce was unhawk-like, <laughs> so that would be kind of not making the point I wanted to. There was potential in that. You just needed to circle it a bit more, I reckon. I reckon we've had a pretty good show so far. Let's see if the standard can be kept up as we cross to our award-winning reporter. And by award-winning, I mean he wins awards basically just because he cheats. Lachlan Bridgman, what have you got for us? 
Thank you, Alex. Unfortunately, this week we have to report the sad loss of Demons defender Sam Frost after he was hit by a car on his way home following Melbourne's clash with the Hawks. Paramedics declared him dead at the scene whilst police came to the conclusion the driver's vision was impaired due to some frost on the windscreen. <laughs> <laughs> Eagles Rockman Nick Natnui had a violent altercation with Paddy Ryder down a local pub after Ryder lost to him at a game of pool. Stunned onlookers watched on as the Port Adelaide midfielder delivered the first punch and in return Ryder received the weirdest punch-slap hybrid that witnesses have dubbed the Nick Nat Paddywhack. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> you should be writing our jokes. <laughs> that, oh, hot damn, that's good. <laughs> I am so confident right now. I'm going to quite happily call this. That's the best segment that's been done on this show this yeah. season at the bare minimum. Yeah. Those two jokes were utterly fantastic. Thanks, uh, Lucky Bridgman, for the news today. It was very insightful. That was, that was some Italian-level gelato shit. That was as high quality as it gets. Yeah, that was just the best gelato place in the world. Yeah, you could. I'm I'm very impressed. Some excellent writing from you there, Lachlan Bridgman. Great stuff. We're going to move on to what are we doing next? Tips. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't really have a discussion this week because nothing really came up in the world that particularly piqued either of our interests. So we're just going to do a bit more of a lengthy discussion this week. And by lengthy, I mean we're probably just going to talk rubbish for ten minutes and call it uh, content. <laughs> That is a very accurate description. <laughs> I think that describes our show. Oh my gosh, should I make that like the byline for our show? <laughs> we talk rubbish for half an hour and call it content. Yes. Yeah, not bad. Um, let's start with Richmond Collingwood Friday night, the blockbuster between the two top sides, two of the top sides. You know what I reckon we do? Let's pick a side and justify why they win. You can have your boys, Richmond. Why will Richmond win this game? Because I don't think Richmond is as wasteful as Collingwood. That's, I think, the big difference in this game, that Richmond is good at putting sides away, and they're particularly good at it in the last quarter. Um, They just break teams down. And that's what's happened the two times these two teams have played this year. Collingwood's been behind, but in it, in both times they played at three-quarter time. And Richmond kicked eight goals to three the first time they played in the last quarter, and then it was five goals to one last time they played. And I get that this is a final and, you know, brings out the best, but, like... If it's happened twice before, I would not be surprised if this happened a third time. Yes, Collingwood's playing very well at the moment, but they were very wasteful last week and they weren't particularly good with their chances against West Coast the week before. You could have made a case that they could have won um, both games. They obviously won last week, but they should have won by a lot more than 10 points. Um, Whereas if you dominate Richmond like that but don't put them away, they don't have to dominate for as long to win the game. So that's the big biggest thing for me, clinicality, and also just experience as well. The experience is actually going to be my main argument as to why I think Collingwood has the advantage here. I'm fairly comfortably going to say I reckon Richmond will probably win this game. But if there's one area of this which Collingwood has over them, it's the last two years we've seen that it's not the best side that wins each week. It's the side that wants it more. Now, Richmond has done the best job we've seen of a side in rebounding from that expectation and still seeming like they have the drive to go on and win multiple premierships since Hawthorne, right? But all those years ago. All those <laughs> Yeah, decades ago. But this Collingwood side looks hungry. They want it. 
And there is a possibility that Richmond might become a little bit complacent. They have shown no indicators of that up until this point, in in fairness. Um, but of these two sides, one of them has won a premiership in the last you know seven years. The other one hasn't. Which of these teams is probably going to be the one that wants it more? I would expect probably Collingwood. Is that going to make enough of a difference? I'm not sure. If I was going to make a point for Collingwood, it would it would actually be the midfield. Um, sure, Richmond has stars in the midfield, but they're not renowned for their clearance work or their contested possessions work. In fact, Richmond has lost it most weeks during the year, whereas Collingwood is right up there. Um, I'm pretty sure they're top three in both of those statistics. Um, they're the highest disposals team in the competition. And, I mean, if they can get win the territory battle then they'll go a long way to winning this game, even if they're less clinical, like I said before. I'm a little worried about that because you look at Collingwood's midfield depth and it's crazy. I know we talk about Melbourne as having a crazy one, but if you've got Adams, Trelaw, Sidebottom, Pendlebury, and then you can chuck in Dugowie in there occasionally. that's a- Phillips and um, what's-his-name, Thomas, doing the work on the outside as well from the wings. That's a pretty good midfield. And... Yes, And, of course, Brody Grundy, who gets a goddamn ton of clearances himself. Exactly. Um, it will be interesting, uh, Nankervis versus Brody Grundy, because the ledge is probably at one all in the two games this year. Um, so that will go a long way to deciding maybe not who wins the match, but how close the match is. Because um, if Brody Grundy gets on top, then I start to get worried with that sort of midfield. But that's what I would actually say is Collingwood's main area of strength compared to Richmond is the contested ball in the territory battle. Um, now that you've done a plus one for Collingwood, I will do a plus one for Richmond. You've talked about clinicality, which I'm still not sure whether or not it's actually a word, but Collingwood's efficiency going inside 50. When Richmond do turn over the ball going inside 50 or aren't as clean as Collingwood, the Collingwood defence is nowhere near as good as being able to pounce on that. This is a Richmond side where you, you look at the likes of Asprey, Rance, Floston, Grimes. This is their bread and butter. They are built for trying to pick a side to panic and put them under pressure to put in that long ball so they can pick off, turn and counterattack, get the ball in on the ground and kick goals at the other end. These grubby goals that Alistair Clarkson doesn't like. So yeah, I'm, I will be tipping Richmond as well. Yeah. By the way, clinicality is a word. I said I'm still not sure. I didn't say it's not a word. Yeah, I'm just confirming it for okay. you. I'm not, I'm not throwing you under the bus. I'm not going to put you on punching down next week just because you don't know what the word clinicality is. I know what the word clinicality means. It's kind of self-explanatory. I was just not convinced that it was actually a word. But moving on, let's talk West Coast Melbourne. And before we get on to our analysis of who's going to win and why, who are you tipping? Because I want to get this out of the way because we know which way I'm tipping. And I want to know which way you're tipping to see if we can take opposing I'm very 50-50 on this, but the more I've thought about it, the more I'm West Coast. Okay, right. So we've got opposing opinions here. You've got the home side. Would you like to start? Yep. My point is going to be short and simple. West Coast is yet to lose this year with Jack Darling and Josh Kennedy playing. That's a nice stat to have on your side. <laughs> Why would it change here? Don't get me wrong, Melbourne's playing very well. But if you haven't lost with those two on the side, you're not going to start now. So key forwards. Um, because I think that here's the other thing. It's not just the key forwards. Is you look at the smalls around them, Ryan, Rioli, Lacroix, Cripps. Cripps, they're all good players. You're going to have to put a lot of effort into them to keep all of them quiet. Yeah, and Melbourne's defence is a little short-handed at the moment. And I'm not sure it can be the Richmond defence is barely equipped to deal with this West Coast forward line, let alone this Melbourne back line. Melbourne's going to have to score a lot 
to win. That's my consensus. And I can't see them scoring a lot because the last few weeks there have been quarters where they've dominated and haven't taken control of the game. And you're going to have to do that this week because this West Coast side's legit. Once Sam Frost is brought back from the grave, he's going to have a very influential impact on this match. And Because the job that him and Oscar McDonald do on Kennedy and Darling will be very in- influential. I've loved watching him play over the last few weeks because he's the perfect example of a player who is so hot and cold. When he's hot, it's great. He takes these contested intercept marks, lands, and goes straight away. And suddenly Melbourne are in counterattack before the team can even set themselves up. But then half the time, he also marks the ball inside 50 and then kicks it to an opposition player 30 metres away. And that's not great either. Um, so he's he'll be very interesting. My first big plus is this Melbourne midfield, right? So let's talk, because this is crazy, right? This is... I, I think... When this Melbourne side turns into the big rival of Richmond over the next few years, which I think this is where the future of footy is headed, this Melbourne side is going to look back at it and go, this is a ridiculous midfield. So Max Gorn, who is the best tap ruckman in the competition, the best ruckman in the competition, and arguably the best ruckman since, I don't know, Adam Goods, maybe further back than that, Dean Cox. When he's playing well, he's unstoppable. That's, that's all I will say. Then the midfield is Viney who is the toughest nut in the competition, arguably, besides Joel Selwood. That little bit where he sidestepped those few players on Friday night was mental. Harms, who does an excellent job playing two ways. Nathan Jones, the senior older statesman, who does all of the professional work. Clayton Oliver, who is a contested ball bull and manages to rack up 30-something each week. Brayshaw, who we've already talked about is one of the most improved players in the competition this season, and his silk and class in uh, clearance work has been incredibly impressive this season. Petraka, who doesn't even get a role in the midfield half the time because the other the others are doing most of the job. But even when he goes in, he looks crazy. I thought he was one of the best players on the field on Friday night. Him playing that half forward role looks incredibly dangerous. All of these players they've got that can circle through and just provide these chop outs. This Melbourne midfield. Look out. Genuinely. Because I really rate West Coast. So I think they're a properly good side and they deserve to play in the grand final. But they're not going to win the con- uh, contestable and they're not going to win the clearances this weekend. I'll tell you that now. Maybe. They won't have to. <laughs> One last thing I will add for West Coast uh, is it's called the McGovern factor. <laughs> it's literally just if it's like a formula. If ball go long, McGovern mark. <laughs> That's how you'd write it out in Excel. He He's so good that Barras, who's also a really good intercept marker, doesn't really get a name for himself. No. They are both two of the best in the league. I mean, so if McGovern's not getting it, Barras is getting it. And I tell you what, Tom McDonald's going to have to play the game of his life and get the ball to the ground. Because if he doesn't, I don't trust Wiedemann to be able to deal with either of these guys. So Tom McDonald's going to have to take the front foot and ensure they don't dominate because... I mean, if they do, Melbourne's not going to score enough. I think it, there are some really interesting matchups to play in this game, and I think Tom McDonald versus McGovern is arguably the most influential of them. Um, I'm so excited for this game. McDonald is the big one for me, for Melbourne. Like, if you take out Max Gorn, he's probably the most influential player in the team. When he's marking well, he's impossible to stop. He's a key link in that side, um, and when he's playing well like he was on Friday night... Uh, especially in the periods when Melbourne was dominating, Hawthorne didn't have an answer to him. So I will be really curious to see how he plays. I think you're, I think you're a little unfair on Wiedemann, who's been really good in his first final series. But I see your McGovern, and I'm not going to raise you, but I, am, I, th- I think I at least respectfully call you with my Neville Jetta. Neville Jetta is 
one of the best players in the competition from a defensive perspective. I think that's reasonably fair to say. He will take, at various points, one of uh, West Coast's best small forwards. So he'll probably get Ryan, Cripps, and Lakar at various times. I be impressed if any of them kicked a goal on him because every time I watched him especially these first two finals he's looked completely on point he's ready to go for this there is one difference between McGovern and Jetta though the fact that it like when McGovern's playing it can feel like he's everywhere because yes. he's he's allowed he doesn't really play man on man he's allowed to float where he likes and go to the ball and have his effect there whereas Neville Jetta is a shutdown defender he will pick a player and he will make sure he doesn't have a role so that one player will be I agree with you that one player will probably have next to no effect on the game but Jeremy McGovern can stop numerous attacks over and over again and he can make you feel helpless. You're absolutely right which is why Tom McDonald's going to be so important because he has to make McGovern accountable. I will be curious to see whether or not McGovern goes to Wiedemann or whether or not... Um, I think he'll go to Wiedemann. You think McGovern will go to Wiedemann and Barras will get McDonald? If McGovern goes to Wiedemann, then what McGovern will be wanting to do is they'll be want- Melbourne will be wanting to play that ball long to Barras v McDonald and McGovern will be wanting to float across and mark or punch. Wiedemann needs to make McGovern accountable, needs to draw him away from the contest and make sure that he is a damaging enough target that they have to put effort into him. He did that really well in week one against Geelong um, and really punished the Geelong defenders when they slipped off him. He's got to do it again. We haven't actually talked about this, but I'd just like to finish on this. I think one of the biggest parts of this game will actually be how the West Coast small defenders line up on the Melbourne small forwards. Mm. Those Melbourne small forwards have been kicking a lot of goals, and uh, West Coast lose Brad Shepard for this game. And I didn't mention that before, but I was going to. Uh, he's not a big-name player, but he gets the job done just about every week. He's probably harsh not to be in the 40-man squad for the All-Australian team. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the West Coast small for, uh, small defenders sorry, deal with the small forwards of Melbourne, who have been electric. Yeah, I think if you look at those names, um, Petrarca on the half-forward flank is an absolute handful. Neil Bullen is dangerous over the balls near here. And Melksham, has, you could make another case for him being one of the most improved players this season. I, I not, I'm not going to lie, I never rated him. Um, when Melbourne picked him up for, I think it was a late first round pick, early second round pick, um, I, I thought, gee, that's a lot to pay for somebody who I've never thought was particularly good. He's become really good this year. Um, he's a genuine weapon and an asset on their side. So it's going to be a fascinating game. I'm so excited. I'm. Do you want to tip a margin just because this yeah. game... I think it'll be Melbourne, and I think it'll be close for most of the game, but I think they will steady a little bit in the last. So I'll say Melbourne by 17 points. West Coast by 24. This is the big one, right? When we look at our brackets, because we both think Richmond's going to win. I've I've started well on you in the bracket, but if West Coast um, win this game, then suddenly my bracket falls apart because Melbourne are my premiers. Well, <laughs> Melbourne's my grand finalist. so no, uh, True. You're not looking good coming out of this either way. No. I expected to have West Coast play Richmond and Collingwood play Melbourne, but that didn't happen. If Melbourne beats West Coast this weekend, I have correctly predicted the entire final series up until the grand final. Yeah, up until Richmond wins the grand final and goes back to back. Just saying. We'll we'll see. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Richmond's a fantastic side. Uh, Of all of the tips I have made across all of the final series, I've got all of them right so far. That is the one I'm least confident in. I'm 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 actually genuinely reasonably confident that Melbourne will win this weekend. Um, I think that West Coast are probably slight favourites and deservedly so. But if even if Melbourne do win this weekend, which I really hope they do, beating Richmond at the G next weekend will be a whole other level. Yeah. 
but we'll get to that if it happens. I'll tell you what, I'll look forward to the show next week if that happens. So next week is the grand final preview. Do we have to do actual work for content for yeah, that? Yeah, we're going to have to actually prepare a little bit more. Yeah, no, we'll try and get you all at home uh, something very interesting and different next week for our grand final preview. Um, it's going to be an electric week. I do like the fact that they've got the public holiday on the Friday, so I'm going to make sure I get out and go to all the stuff. Um, if Richmond's playing. <laughs> Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. It should be a great weekend of footy this weekend. Um, probably better than the last weekend as well. So the biggest stakes so yep. far. This is it. Do or die right now for these four sides. And we only have two of them left next week. You want to wrap us up? Thanks to everyone for listening. We're on iTunes. We're occasionally on Twitter. And we're always on uh, sorry, I did try, go looking for Zach Dawson this week on Twitter to see if we could tweet him and therefore try to get an interview. But he doesn't have Twitter. At least he doesn't Why am have, I like, surprised? He doesn't have like a po- public profile. It's funny because a lot of people tweet about him. They use him as like a comparison of like, oh, this person's as bad as Zach Dawson's set shot kicking is or something. And he wouldn't know about it. No, I, I imagine it's that's why he deleted his, his Twitter. <laughs> Fair enough. Anyways, we're on iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week for Grand Final. Get excited for that. From myself, Chuck. My name's Alex Henry. Have a nice evening, everyone. <laughs>